Welcome to Season 7 of Tell Me a Story I Don't Know, a fascinating journey into the lives of top sports personalities and their connections to Chicago. They reveal entertaining, memorable, and emotional stories many you've never heard before. I'm your host, George Hoffman, and please follow this podcast through our new partnership with Last Word on Sports. Just go to Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google, or wherever you get your podcast. Tell Me a Story I Don't Know is proudly presented by Mr. Duct, Chicagoland's premier comprehensive air duct cleaning and ventilation for residential and commercial properties. They're upfront and honest. Find them on the web at mrductcleaning.com. This week we feature former Blackhawks goalie and current NHL analyst Darren Pang. The slapper uh, dove a little bit. It was going over. I thought it was going over the crossbar. I kind of I kind of flinched a little bit thinking it was going high. It kind of dipped low. It went off the crossbar in the net and Doug Wilson said that right away. He said, well, Spank, that's the new six hole, over your head and <laughs> off the crossbar and in. In this day and age of big goaltenders, it's really hard to imagine Darren Pegg made the NHL standing just five feet five. Yet, he was a finalist for the Rookie of the Year during the 1987-88 season with the Blackhawks. He played only two seasons in the league, but his connection with the sport has grown. He was an analyst with the Phoenix Coyotes and since 2009, the St. Louis Blues. He's also working nationally with TNT and covered three Olympic Games. And he loved box lacrosse. Box <laughs> lacrosse? So, Darren mm. Pang, tell me a story I don't know. George, it's great to be on your show. Um, I've, uh, I've followed your shows. You've had some great guests, so it's, a, it's an honor to be here. We've known each other a long time. So, um, that first and foremost, I'll, I'll, I'll get... Uh, I'll get that out of the way because it's always great seeing familiar faces and people that uh, so long ago when I when I did play the game that uh, that were around the room and and covered the sport with such passion and you're one of those guys George so thanks for having me on um, I tell you what box lacrosse is my favorite sport George I mean growing up I played you know for the Nepean Knights we were called we were um, what basically a Triple A lacrosse team box lacrosse in Canada is just basically indoor lacrosse uh, in the you know in the summertime the ice. Uh, got taken out of all of our arenas, Bell Arena, Merivale Arena, Gloucester Arena, and, uh, and, and the concrete was already underneath the ice. The paint was already there for lacrosse. They put in the lacrosse nets, and now you've got lacrosse. So uh, we didn't play hockey 24-7. Once our season ended in hockey, we started right up in another sport, which I greatly uh, remember, and I appreciate that part of it because I, I loved other sports. And I was a I wasn't a goalie, you know, I was a, I was a forward. I was a, you know, I was a guy that I, I scored goals and we won uh, three national Canadian championships. And I, I just, I loved it to death. And, and so I always had these dreams of being, you know, a professional lacrosse player. Or, and then I wanted to be a, a professional hockey player, but I didn't want to be a goalie. I wanted to be a forward just like I was in lacrosse, but that didn't happen. But I, I ended up um, still playing lacrosse for a long time. Um, and uh, up until major junior a hockey, uh, I was drafted uh, to Belleville and their coach uh, didn't like the fact that I was playing lacrosse. So uh, a lot of us ended up having to stop it at that particular point and, and just focus on one sport, which was fine with me. Well, you mentioned that you were playing lacrosse. You were a forward in lacrosse and in a hockey before your dad said play goalie. What in the world compelled him to say that considering you were so short, probably shorter than five feet five then, right? Oh goodness. Yeah. I was just a, geez, I was a little wee guy. I mean, every, <laughs> Every classroom pitcher, I was that smallest guy, you know, sitting up front. And, and uh, I've talked to my dad about it. And, and you know, his, <laughs> thinking, his thinking was, you were a really good forward, but you're probably going to be too small. 
and he says you could really catch a ball. My dad was a like a lot of uh, our dads in in Canada. He was a fastball pitcher, senior senior ball, and he could he could really pitch. And so at a young age, I would catch for him, and uh, and he would he just kind of put two and two together. He said, "Man, you don't miss very many. Like you're you, you can really catch." And so I, I truly, he says, "We need a goalie next week," and and I'm like, ah. Uh, I didn't really want to be the goalie. And then I put on the equipment and the equipment's pretty cool. I, you know, even back then you had a mask, you got these cool gloves and, and my neighbor had these uh, blue, red and white painted like kind of outdoor pads basically. And, and he gave them to me. So I used them for a year. Uh, and, uh, and then what happens is, and I think a lot of athletes would say this, like, when am I going to make a change? You know, I tried thinking about it as a peewee, but by the time I was a peewee, I was probably the top goalie in, in, in all of the Ottawa area on a triple A team. And we always won championships. So I, I didn't really have a, I had a moment that I could say, you know what, I'm packing in the goaltending stuff. I want to be a forward. So I ended up staying there. But what I, what I did a lot was play outdoor hockey in leagues as a forward. So at least I got my, uh, you know, I, I got my uh, entertainment there and I got the challenge of still being a forward. But, uh, you know, to this day, there's some, there's some, all the guys that I know, if you ask Danny Savard or Troy Murray or Larms or like anybody, they they tell you that, number one, I probably drove them crazy uh, playing ball hockey. And I always had a tennis ball. I was always shooting balls around. Whenever the coaches had an optional skate and I didn't have to go in the net, I always had a forward forward skates and I'd always go out there and play forward. And and a couple of times, I remember one time we were in Madison Square Garden and we're getting ready for uh, for the game. And I wanted to relax out where the Zambonis were before I was starting the game. So I, I grabbed one of Denny Savard's sticks and uh, I went and I played ball hockey, 15, 20 minutes. I got a, a lather on and I'm, I'm coming back in. I'm ready for the game. And Savvy's like, you remember my nickname used to be Spank. And uh, Savvy's <laughs> like, Spank? And he said, Spanky, what, 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 Spanky, what are you doing? My, that, that's my game stick you had. I've been looking for it. He gets it back and all the tape underneath is all worn off. He had to retape the stick and, from that point on, the trainers, they, they brought a stick for me. So I didn't have to use all the guys' sticks when I was goofing around and shooting tennis balls at the wall and getting myself ready for the game that way. So it was kind of funny. I always remember Savvy telling me, Spanky, no, that's that's my game stick. Don't use that. We did everything. We, we played. I remember later on, I was playing maybe Major Junior Raven, and I played the ball hockey league until Bruce Cassidy, the, the Blackhawks' first-round pick, yep. was on my junior team, the Ottawa 67s. We just won the Memorial Cup. He was one of the top players in all of uh, Canada. And he was playing in the same league I was, and he tore his ACL. And mm. it really, I mean, it set him back probably to the point, I would say, that it eliminated his opportunity to be an NHL defenseman because of that. So we got a call from our agents, all of us. That's enough. Ball hockey is done. So because uh, of Bruce Cassidy's torn ACL, we were out. I want to get back to your history in the game and with the Blackhawks, but we've got to talk about what happened just a few days ago, and that was the end of the trading deadline. And a couple of days before that, the Blackhawks finally made their trade of Patrick Kane to the New York Rangers, the only team he wanted to go to. So what are your overall impressions? Well, number one, that it actually got done. I, I thought that maybe uh, when Tarasenko and, and uh, Nico Mikola from the St. Louis Blues got traded, I I'd assume that because both Kane and, and Tarasenko are left-hand shots that play the right side, that there wouldn't be any more room for, for Patrick Kane. So I am mistaken. And, uh, you know, somehow Chris Drury and the, and the New York Rangers, they, they found a way to get it done. For Patrick Kane, 
this has to be very difficult. I ran into him a couple of times. I did a TNT game in Toronto where it was shortly after the um, the New York Rangers news, and he, and he just didn't look like he had that that fire in the belly. And I remember him going to the bench a couple of times with, you know, not much energy. And and I'm thinking to myself, I wonder if there's anything left in the tank for, for Patrick Kane. And lo and behold, you know, the next two games, he had five goals. Max Domi on the poke check with Kane. Domi for Kane. Score! The dynamic duo of Domi and Kane have brought the Hawks within one. I'm like, whoa, okay, well, he wants to prove to everybody that he's ready to go. And so I'm, I'm happy for Patrick. I think this is, must be a very incredibly difficult decision for him and his family uh, to leave a, a team that he's been with forever and the legacy and the, the ability that he could have maybe caught Stan Makita and some of the all-time records in, in Blackhawks history. But at, at the end of the day, I totally understand. And I'm you know looking forward to seeing him play for the New York Rangers. He held all the cards in this with the no movement clause, mm-hmm. and he waited and waited and waited. And of course, by doing that, the Rangers then held all the cards. And so in the end, he goes there, and the Blackhawks, all they get is a second round pick next year and the fourth round pick the year after. So did the Blackhawks wait too long, or did Kane make them wait too long? Yeah, that's a really good question. I think there's kind of some mixed reports out there. And, and one of the bits of information that I got was that at one point, Kane, you know, had, had, had agreed to. New York being the team. It wasn't like I was like extremely mad about the situation when they uh, when they made the move for uh, for Tarasenko. It was just you know it didn't seem like it was in the cards to uh, still be an option for me. So now obviously I'm very happy they made that move and both of us are here and uh, I'm excited to play with Vladdy. I think he's a you know amazing player. So um, yeah, happy we're both on the same side. Uh, but whether or not he said yes, then let's make the move, or hey, I you know that's the team that I'd like to go to. And then quickly, you know, the, the uh, St. Louis Blues sent Tarasenko there early. And, and so maybe that deflated, you know, some of it. This is the Blackhawks general manager, Kyle Davidson. If you look at it from the pure hockey standpoint and like a, uh, an asset return standpoint, it probably doesn't compute. But given the circumstances and, and the uh, situation, I think um, we achieved what we wanted to. And that was to put Patrick on a team that he wanted to go to. You know, I, I would have to think that if he made the decision earlier uh, that the uh, the Chicago Blackhawks uh, would have gotten maybe the, the kind of picks that the St. Louis Blues did. Um, I mean, the good news in it is that, listen, if there's only one team to go to, um, I mean, <laughs> the New York Rangers could have held off and, and, and really had a lower price, to be quite honest with you. But I think they, they made an honorable offer back. And, and you know, it, there's always the possibility that 2023 second round pick can become a 2024 or 25 first round pick if the Rangers reach the Eastern Conference Finals. So um, it's not improbable to think that they they won't. You know, the, the really the basically the next day after the trade um, and Patrick Kane not playing in that game but waiting to, for the home opener on the Thursday. Uh, but Gerard Gallant was, I mean, he was really excited about it, and one of the reasons why he was excited about it as he told me, was that uh, Artemi Panarin was excited. And he's getting a Stanley Cup winner three times over and, 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 a, and a guy in Patrick with, a, with an awful lot to prove. Um, doesn't it happen this way too, George, that you get, you know, you get a guy that's done everything. He's a surefire Hall of Famer. He's a legend in Chicago and in the hockey world and in USA hockey. And, uh, and yet you, you put on another sweater and you've got a lot to prove. And I think that's what makes the great ones what they are because he'll go in there and he'll find yet another level, in my opinion. Well, now here's the deal for the Blackhawks. 
clearly, and I've said this on social media, the Blackhawks now might be good enough to be bad enough to wind up with the worst record. And a lot of people know why, because you have a better percentage chance of getting that generational talent, Connor Bedard. So mm-hmm. I assume this is their plan. The plan was, it doesn't matter what we get for Patrick Kane. We want to do right by him, but we want to do right by our plan, which is basically to tank. There are a lot of people out there who may not know who Connor Bedard is, but we're talking about a generational talent. Part of me, Kuhlman's on the puck, sets up Bedard, a little bit of speed. Connor Bedard walking in, back in front. You want a response? You got it! What a goal! Backhand on top, and it's 1-1. He's proven it. You know, when you go to the World Junior Championships and you perform the way he performed and break as many records as he broke and win the gold medal in the fashion that uh, Canada did, time and time again, he doesn't disappoint, which doesn't that sound familiar? That's pretty much every every one of the the, the great generational players. So he's a, he's a unique player because he's not big. Uh, Patrick Kane wasn't big. <laughs> um, he's a, he's different than Patrick Kane. Patrick Kane has always been more of a, you know, quarterback, see the ice, playmaking kind of guy that can still finish. Um, but uh, this guy here is is very unique in that he just he shoots the puck um, in a unique fashion. Goalies can't seem to read it off his stick. He's got incredible moves and hands like Austin Matthews and. Um, shooting ability through traffic um i'm not even sure who to compare him to in that 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 department so yes he is but i think the whole even if you don't get the number one overall i mean there's some really good players in this draft including adam fantilli from the university of michigan that's you know if you want a different kind of player you're not going to miss with this guy at the university of michigan he's a horse i mean he's he's a 200 foot big player skates very very well for a big guy so i mean but i mean Connor bedard is the is the prize but, but if you get second or third, I think you're still going to be okay in this draft. Now let's get back to you and the fact that you were one of the shortest goalies in NHL history. Now, there was a guy named Roy Shrimp Waters. There's a good nickname, right? And there you Big were, name. 5 feet 5, 155 pounds. It's a pretty good achievement to succeed in the NHL. Pass is picked off. Here's a lead, a breakaway for Gartner. Gartner is in alone, shooting. Yeah, and if you if we want to go on the all honesty side of, of, of this podcast, I, I I still don't weigh 155 pounds. So <laughs> I uh, I'm so glad you're honest. Yeah, I I, I cheated. Um, I got drafted uh, major junior A, and they did the first weigh in for what back then they would call it the NHL Combine. And so when I heard that they were weighing us, I weighed about 128 pounds. Oh my. And so I went, I uh, went down to the locker room and I said, uh, I'll be right back. So I put on those, you know, those long one piece, uh, long underwear that we all used to wear under our equipment. They were baggy. So I put sand weights, uh, sumo style, and then I put them around my waist and I put them around my ankles. And so I, I got up to like 148 pounds or something like that, <laughs> but I, I never weighed that much. And even in the NHL, I played at 135 pounds was the, was the most I weighed in the NHL. Wow. That now that's a story I didn't know. Good, good move to uh, kind of fudge the numbers a little bit. Gotta fudge the numbers. If you're not, if you're not cheating, you're not trying. And then, I, you know, especially goalies back then, you know, you, we can name the goalies that were smaller. I mean, I was after Rogi Vashon, but you know, Rogi, one of the greatest and one of the smallest yep. that's that's played the game. And you know, in my era, you know, Mike Vernon, Pokey Reddick, yep, uh, Alan Bester. 
Um, and then there was a couple of other guys like John Van Beeswerk was maybe in that five, nine area. And so, you know, the goalies, you know, if they saw a goalie, they said, oh, he's another small goalie. But if they, if you, if you said you're 130 pounds, that's a little light. So I think I had to do that to, to convince them that I was thicker than what I was. And, and so as it, as it turns out, I think it did help because a number is a number. And here you are, you're still saying five, five, 155 pounds. And so that's, that's good. But the honest part about it is I would be right, right near shrimp waters. Cause I believe he was five, three or five, four. And I think he was 135 pounds. And so I'd be, I'd be right there if I didn't uh, tell a couple of fibs there and put some weights in my underwear. The word is that the joke going around was you had the sixth hole, which was above your head. I imagine you weren't that enamored of that. Yeah, that was Willie. Doug Wilson always. He, oh, he was it a, really? Yeah, that was Willie that said <laughs> that. I, a slapper, a, you know, a slapper uh, dove a little bit, was going over. I thought it was going over the crossbar. I kind of, I kind of flinched a little bit thinking it was going high. It kind of dipped low. It went off the crossbar in the net. And Doug Wilson said that right away. And he said, well, Spank. That's the new six hole over your head and <laughs> off the crossbar and in. When's the last time you had your air ducts cleaned? Here's the best solution. Mr. Duct, a name Chicagoland has trusted for over 20 years. They work on your furnaces, air conditioners, and do repairs, maintenance, and installations. In other words, they're your all-around company for air quality choice and more. Mr. Duct provides on-site commercial ventilation cleaning estimates. You'd be hard-pressed to find better. So give them a call at 888-4-MR-DUCT. That's 888-497-3828. And Mr. Duct is the right choice to clean your residential dryer vents. They do a full inspection to make sure your dryers are running properly. Mr. Duct works with schools, health facilities, and office buildings to make sure you're breathing clean air. Their testimonials are endless, and with good reason. So don't think twice when you're ready to work on air ducts, dry vents, and so much more. Just think Mr. Duct. 888 for Mr. Duct. That's 888-497-3828. And find them on the web at mrductcleaning.com. If you're a woman over 40 dealing with hot flashes, insomnia, brain fog, moodiness, or weight gain, you don't have to accept it as just another part of aging. The experts at Midi Health know all these symptoms can be connected to the hormonal changes of menopause. And Midi can help with safe, effective, FDA-approved solutions covered by insurance. 91% of Midi patients get relief from symptoms within just two months. Book your virtual visit today at joinmidi.com. What's the easiest choice you can make? Window instead of middle seat? Picking a vendor who sends a great gift basket? Outsourcing business tasks you hate? What about selling with Shopify? Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage, Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash try. Go to shopify.com slash try now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash try. 
The bottom line is you made it. You represented a major midget team at age 15. Then you won the Memorial Cup in 1984. That's the same season you signed uh, with the Blackhawks by Bob Pulford. And he gave you a rather generous bonus at the time. Yeah, he did. Um, I'll, I'll be forever indebted for Pulley and just the way he he was with me personally. And I know he had a great relationship with uh, Brian Kilray, my junior coach, and my agent, Larry Kelly from Ottawa. You know, I think the, the bottom line was, I, I think Pulley was just trying to help out a little bit. He knew that my parents, you know, were divorced. I think he knew that it, it was a tough ride for me being as small as I was. And I'm not getting many calls after we won the Memorial Cup because I wasn't drafted. And um, our owner for the 67s took us all to Florida after we won. And so I'm standing on the balcony of a, the hotel we were at. And I said to uh, Killer, Brian Killer, I said, Killer, I, I'm not getting any action. Like, I thought for sure I'd get a contract. And he said, well, hang in there, you know, maybe good, good things will happen. And he says, you, you may have to play a year of like senior hockey or something. I'm like, no, I'm not playing senior hockey. He says, maybe an overage. I go, no, I don't want to play an overage. I'm, you know, we, we won it all last year. I just want to, I want to be a pro, you know? And well, sure enough, about maybe a week or two later, that's when my agent, Larry Kelly called and said, Hey, you've got, I think three invites without contracts, uh, Winnipeg, Vancouver. And I can't remember the other team. And, and then he says, but I think Chicago's going to offer you a contract. And I said, like a contract contract. And he's like, yeah, he says, we were, I think we've got something going. And I calls me back and he's got a two year contract um, in the minors. It's 22,500, but it wasn't a three-way deal back then. You could have a contract that was, you know, NHL 85,000 minors, 25,000. And then the East coast league, you know, 18,000 or something like that. So they said, no, it's It's a two-way deal. And, uh, you know, they need some depth in Milwaukee. Uh, maybe it's you and Jim Ralph down there. And so the contract, you know, we're, we're good on the contract. So, yeah, it's 85000 in the NHL when you get called up. And it's at twenty two five in the minors. And there's a $2,500 U.S. signing bonus. So, so all my friends had signed. Steve Eiserman, Danny Quinn, uh, Adam Creighton, Bruce Cassidy. They'd all signed these deals. They were getting, you know, sixty five. To $125,000 bonuses. And I was so pleased that I got a, a bonus and a contract. I was, I was in tears. And uh, after I got off the phone, I, I asked Larry Kelly, I, I just said, I said, Larry, can you give me Bob Pulford's phone number? And he said, for what? And I said, I, I want to call him and thank him. And he said, whoa, like, you know, there's not a cell phone where you're going to send a text and hey, thanks for the contract. You know, I called him at home and his wife answered the phone. And uh, she said, well, yes, Darren, Bob's right here. Just like that. And if I called today, she'd answer the same way. Wow. And uh, I said, uh, Mr. Pulford, it's Darren Pang. I just signed a deal with you. I don't think he knew who I was, to be quite honest with you. I wasn't sure. But I, I, I said, you know, uh, I'm so thankful for this $2,500 bonus. Um, and I'm, you know, I'll make you proud. I'm going to make sure I, I give it my all or whatever. And and he said, Darren, you can buy a nice little sports car with that, with that money. Just put... <laughs> I remember getting off the phone thinking, like, am I supposed to buy like a Pinto or something like that? Uh, but I was so, you know, from that point on, I had Bob Pulpert's home phone number. I had it in my book. And whenever something came up, whether it was a question about why I didn't, you know, didn't get recalled or why I got sent to the minors or anything. I literally called him at home and would ask him a couple of questions and have a conversation with him. And 
the way he treated people was, you know, a player like me, I could just say firsthand that it was, it was extraordinary. Some of the things that, that he did and how he said things. And, and even when I retired, he gave me so much support to stop playing, basically told me don't play anymore. And he said, start your next career. He said, I know you're going to be good in TV. And, uh, and so just move, move on basically, which I think I needed somebody to tell me that, that I respected. And certainly uh, Bob Pulford is a guy I respect a great deal. Well, you played one year, one game, I should say, in, in the 84 season. The next three were in the minors. But you then made the Blackhawks, and you finished second in Rookie of the Year. Pretty good. You know what? It's a good year. Um, a surreal year because, you know, they, they went – I just finished my third year. I had no contract. I got married. I was on my honeymoon. I remember I was had to drive to Milwaukee. I went to a wedding for John Olson, a former teammate. And I, I ended up on my way back. I remember, I remember thinking to my wife, Lynn, I said, I, I, I don't know what, I don't know what's going to happen. Like, you know, here we are just getting married and I haven't been offered a new deal. And they just drafted Jimmy Waite eighth overall. They signed Bob Mason from, from uh, Washington. Uh, they went out and they got Ed Belfort from North Dakota like, I, I, this doesn't look good for me, you know? And so we went back home and, you know, I was training like I always train and got a phone call and the Blackhawks, like I'll use the word inexplicably. And I found, find out later why, and I'll, I'll get to that in a second, but they offered me a three-year contract and it was, you know, like 150, 160, 170 in the NHL. And I think it was 40, 50, 60 in the minors. You know, it was a good, it was a good, contract at that time I'm thinking to myself wow and so uh as it turns out I think the reason is because Wayne Thomas was just hired to be our goalie coach and I played against Wayne in the IHL for three years and he must have you know he must have liked the way I played and he was now the goalie coach and I believe he was the one main reason why I signed the deal and the one main reason why I was the one that started in the NHL with Bob Mason and not, you know, Eddie Belfour. And so I, I, I always look back at how decisions got made. And I truly believe that Wayne Thomas was the man responsible for me getting that opportunity. You played under two coaches. That was it. One was Bob Murdoch. I believe his nickname was yeah. Mud Murdoch. And the other guy was the irascible Mike Keenan. Uh, <laughs> yeah, those are two different coaches. <laughs> you think? Two very different coaches. And, and listen, Mud, he had a different way of talking to you. He had different phrases that we weren't quite used to. And I'm grateful for the, you know, he and Wayne Thomas and uh, Daryl Sutter was his first year not playing. And he became our assistant coach. And that coaching staff really cared. Now, the next year, when he got fired and let go, all of a sudden, Mike Keenan's your head coach. And you're like, what? What happened? Wayne Thomas was gone. You know, Mud's gone. Daryl stayed on. Daryl stayed on, or he went to the minors to to be the head coach. And Mike came on, and I met him in I met him at the awards banquet because I I got the NHL All Rookie Team thing. And I remember he couldn't have been nicer. I mean, he was like, I mean, he's a, a complimentary, and I can't wait to work with you. I got a I got a, a handwritten letter about a week later from him. I looked at my wife and I said, all these things I've heard about Mike Keenan, I'm I am ready to go. Like <clears throat> he's got me pumped up. I get to training camp and I'm telling you, it was the complete opposite. It was just the complete opposite. There were team, there was a team function early on and he, he just makes sure that, that you're uncomfortable. And 
you know, I wasn't invited to it. And I'm like, Hey, everybody's going to this team function. Where do I have to wear what? No, you're not going it, it, little things like that. You know, we started training camp the next year. You know, most times you're a goalie that played the year before and you played 50 games. You start a preseason game, <clears throat> you get two periods. Maybe the other guy goes in for the last period. Not me ever. Never started at home. Always played me for only the third period on the road on all the preseason games. And it was just, I was fighting an uphill battle right away. And it was really, de- it was really demoralizing for me. It was really, I hope that Mike looks back at some of the decisions that he made and, and regrets that he didn't coach more. He's talking to Mike Keenan. He's not yelling at anybody else. Now he's going out of it. Keenan's standing right there talking to him. There he is. But watch this. Watch this. Hey. Now watch this. It ain't over yet. Look at this. Yikes. And he didn't leave players with um, with a better feeling about him as a coach. Because I think when you're a coach, you have a responsibility. You're a leader. You have to, you know, your job is to make players the best they can be. <clears throat> and not make them the worst. And not make them hate the game of hockey. I mean, I think, I think that's terrible. And so, anyway, Mike. I don't have very many great things to say, you know, about him as, as in that year when he was coaching, that's for sure. Well, unfortunately, your career got short by a knee injury. So here you are, 26, and you're done. What did you do then? Mm-hmm. Well, th- when I in- injured my knee, it was in the conference final against Calgary. Um, you remember Al Chevry took over the net um, and he went on a terrific run. So I was backing up Al, and uh, we were getting ready for game game four in Chicago stadium and Keenan wanted to do a drill where, where the forwards were going to crash the net. And, you know, so it's a, it's a bad, it's a bad drill for a goalie because that's what the players did. They crashed the net. They shot pucks on the net and then they came to the crease and they wanted to bump you with we were trying to get Mike Vernon's kitchen. And, and so I'm kind of the, you know, the Mike Vernon at one end. Well, Wayne Van Dorp lost his balance and he, you know, fell on top of me and I tore my ACL. So um, when that happened, um, we had a little delay in surgery and I, you know, so here I was starting my third year and uh, I had a, who, who was it that said it was Lisa Seltzer. Remember Lisa was a producer and director for, for sports channel and for the Blackhawks. Well, yeah. Yeah. She's a dear friend of mine to this day and, and one of the best. And she just asked if I'd be interested in doing college hockey while I was rehabbing my ACL and, I think Keenan loved that because he didn't want any injured players around. If you recall, you weren't allowed to be anywhere near the team. So we asked Pulley, we, we just asked him, is, is, it, is it okay if during this time, because my career might be over, if I do college hockey, CCH hockey on, on sports channel. And Pulley said, yes, you know, that's a great idea. Go do it. Um, you may not come back and play. And so, so that's how I got started in, in the broadcasting end of it. And then the next year I did come back. I played the minors and then I injured my knee again and I came to training camp and then I just, then I retired. So I ran the Blackhawks hotline for a couple of years, you know, which was very new to me. Here I am. You're used to, you were, you had a Marantz recorder probably. I I would guess it was probably the best one of its time. Back back then those Marantz recorders weighed five pounds and they were just a bitch on your shoulder. They were big. They were bigger than my pads, I think. So (laughs) I'm, you know, so I'm, I'm, I'm sitting there and now I think the, the Blackhawks bought me a recorder and I've got a microphone. I think WBBM gave me the microphone and Brian Davis would help me out. And, and so I had to, you know, produce three times a day, a hotline update, Hawk Talk with Darren Pang. And 
So I'd open up, you know, you know, hi again, everyone, and welcome back inside. I'm Darren Pang. And, you know, today at practice, the Blackhawks, who struggled in the last game three to one, you know, working on their power play. And here's Chris Chelios talking about what they've got to do better. You know, so I, I had, you know, do that for, I think it was a four minute, every addition uh, was a little about four minutes. And then I, then I was done for the day. And so I did that for a couple of years and I really had a great appreciation for the day to day, you know, uh, media um, just coming up with things and, you know, and so that kind of coincided, George, with working at WBBM between periods, pregame, postgame, and then that turned into WLUP or WMVP, maybe it was. And uh, and then in 93, I got called by ESPN to go audition. And so I went to Bristol, Connecticut, and I auditioned and I uh, I got, you know, my I got the job to be an analyst with Tom Mees at the time. Uh, and I started my my national career with ESPN, ESPN2 and I still had all my friends who were still players in the NHL and it was a, a real nice transition because I got a lot of insights. That a lot of other people didn't, you know, knowing I just came out of a locker room um, as, as early as I had. Nowadays, Pang is the inside the glass reporter for TNT. Drink wine, Harper, lost to Tarasenko, shot score! Chris Kreider with the deflection in front and the Rangers have tied it at two. And of all the opportunities that the Rangers have had here in the third period, that was probably the least percentage to get into the net. What was the biggest learning curve about being an analyst? Because one thing is for certain, Panger, you had the personality for it. Did you pattern yourself after anybody? You know, I I, I didn't really, but I always I admired lots of guys. I, I grew up idolizing Danny Gallivan. I thought he was the best play-by-play guy, Dan Kelly as well. On the game, Canadians out shooting the Rangers 21 to 14. Here's Lemire. To the Mike McEwen to Gresner. He flipped at the center. Ganey knocks it down. Feeds it on left wing. Drops it to Napier. To the you know, so I thought maybe I want to be, maybe I want to get into play by play, but I think on the color commentating side, I was, I was always uh, such a big fan of John Davidson. And, you know, as it turns out, I, John would come into town and Lisa Seltzer would say, listen, if you give JD a nugget and he pulls out his little yellow pad, then, and he writes it down, he says, you've done really, really well. And so I, I kept a close eye on him. I read everything that was written about him. I tried to emulate what he did and as it turns out I ended up working two Olympics with John Davidson and and I to this day I consider him a, a great friend of mine and and uh you know kind of a real leader in, on our side of it so I probably talked a million miles an hour back then because I had so many things to say and I think it was Bill Clement that told me one time he said Panger he says, you're gonna have to slow things down you got you got nine thoughts going on and I don't understand any of them <laughs> and narrow it down to <laughs> I remember Billy say just narrow it down to one or two you know that's it and then and he he, he kind of helped me slow down a little bit which was a, a great advice well here's another experience that I imagine had to be one great thrill when the Blues won the Stanley Cup a few years ago very much so five seconds to go and the time winds down they did it it's over the game is over the series is over the wait is over and the st louis blues are the stanley cup champions for the first time in franchise 
history. I mean, incredible. And I, I know people are like, well, you didn't play for the Blues. J- John Davidson was the president here. The Coyotes were underwater. They went into bankruptcy. My contract wasn't going to be guaranteed as a broadcaster. John Davidson called me and came to Phoenix, played golf with me, asked if I would come to St. Louis. And I said, J.D.A., I can't work for St. Louis. I played for the Blackhawks. And John Davidson <laughs> said, he said, don't, he said, ah, don't kid yourself. You weren't that damn good anywhere. Anyway, as a player, he says, they'll love you as a broadcaster. Just come here and just be yourself. And if you don't like it and they don't like it, then we'll agree, we'll, we'll agree to, you know, to, 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 to part ways, but give it a chance. And so I, I've been here now for 14 years. And, uh, and I got to see the, a team that's never won the Stanley Cup. I got to see a city that could never get over the hump. A city that got to see Chicago after so many years of not winning it, win three. Of teams like Pittsburgh go back on a roll. Of Anaheim winning cups. Of I can go down the list. Carolina. And here St. Louis is, and they hadn't won anything. And that was such an incredibly emotional time for the city and so much fun. The alumni that live here, the passion for the sport, I think the sigh of relief that they finally won and they can finally take a deep breath. And so that was really, really something else. If you want to hear more guests on Tell Me a Story I Don't Know, all you have to do is go to Last Word on Sports on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. You can listen to the many wonderful interviews we've done dating back to January of 2021. We resume with Darren Pang on Tell Me a Story I Don't Know. Earlier in this podcast, we discussed the trade of Patrick Kane. But over the course of the last year, maybe even year plus, this organization has gone through a tumultuous period, the likes of which, Panger, I'm not sure I've ever seen in any sport. We're talking top to bottom from management, public relations, and broadcasters. What are your thoughts? Yeah, I uh, I sat there during uh, that press conference that, that occurred earlier. I was doing a TNT game, and I was with my good friend Mark Lyman, and we were sitting there, and I know it didn't go as it was supposed to go. I think the report speaks for itself. The people that were involved are no longer here, and we're not going to talk about what happened. We're moving forward. That is my answer. That's none of your business. What we're going to do today is our business. I don't think it's any of your business. Because I don't think it's any of your business. You don't work for the company. I, I've known Danny Wirtz for an awful long time. His dad, Rocky, you know, used to call me and say, I've got ice in Winnetka. Can you please take Danny there and, and give him lessons? And you know, teach him how to, he wants to be a goalie in NHL. And so it's been a long relationship. And I understand the, you know, the pain that they've gone through and, and, and are going through and the transition of everything happened with the video coach. And it's just a, a terrible turnaround on, on so many fronts and so many great people made their legacy. And it's somewhat stained because of everything that's gone on. Now, you know, all that being said, now here we are with you know, Pat Foley retiring. I always turned on the TV when the Hawks were playing and I'm sitting at home and I'm watching a game and I know that, that Pat's and, and Edzo are doing the game. I'd always send them a text and I'd be like, boys, I'm sitting back here, loving the broadcast, keep up the great work. So when I heard that Pat was stepping down, you know, he's, he's a big part of my past and, and my experiences of growing up as a broadcaster. And, and I was, I was sad to hear that whole thing. I was happy for him because I think it, there's always a time where you say, I got other things I can do, but 
I still didn't like the way that went down and the, and the way it took place personally. But all that being said, then this year, the other side of the coin is that, you know, Edzo goes on because he's not happy with a contract. And sure enough, doesn't that open space for a good friend of mine in Troy Murray and all he's gone through. So I guess I'm always kind of a guy that looks at things half full. I always have been. And, and my half full side of it is clearly Troy Murray being healthy enough to be the voice of the, of, of the Chicago Blackhawks, getting a chance to move from the radio to the TV, working with Patrick Sharp whenever they're going to work and, you know, and bringing a young play-by-play guy up. So there's a lot of things that are being done in Chicago and, and it's going to be some unsettling times for sure. But uh, you know, at the end of it, there's always something positive. And for me, it's just truly the health of Troy Murray being able to be in that position. Tell me about goalies today, Panger. They are much bigger, more athletic, which you could pretty much say about any athletes in any sport. So while the league continues to look into ways in which to increase scoring, what about even, say, smaller pads, or do I dare say widening the nets, nets, which have been six by four forever? It, it makes a lot of sense. I guess there's so many questions to go around. You know, starting, let's say next year, you start with a net that's, a half a foot wider and a half a foot taller or whatever decisions you make. Is there an asterisk beside every record that's ever, you know, been broken? Is there, how, how do you, how do you determine it? Like this year, I saw games that were seven, six and five, four and four, three, you know, and, and I've, I'm on a, you know, text chats with a lot of guys. And I'm like, Hey, equipment doesn't seem too big tonight. Nets seem to be okay tonight, <laughs> <laughs> you know? And, and so I, I think there was a time when the goaltenders, cheated so obviously and that's a francois lair question i mean he's he's the genius behind all the, the goaltending equipment as great a goalie coach as he is he's also the guy responsible for making the equipment bigger and now i'm looking at players the blockers of today the, the stick hand blocker of today is smaller by a, a large margin than mine i put mine i put mine the last one i used beside one of the one of the blues in the locker room it's skinnier it's thinner it's smaller now it has better protection around the thumb it's that's where they've improved that because you had to because for a big guy that blocker's really small the glove my glove was bigger than the gloves they have today pads i mean my pad was fatter i like what they did with the pads i still sometimes think they could maybe improve the tapered pants, I still believe there are some goalies that are wearing pants that are bigger than what they're supposed to be. But really, that's about it. The, the other side, I'll tell you, George, the evolution of the movement of the goaltenders, I think, is started with where the pads sit on the goalie's skates. It, it, it sits up higher, our sat lower. So the minute we pushed off, the inside part of our pad usually got caught on the ice, and so we couldn't push as far. Also, our skate blades were closer to the ice and not nearly as good as what you have today. Now the blades are taller, so now you're able to push side to side without your pads being in the way. So there's a lot of things that the goalie union has done great to make their mobility, their lateral movement, so much better than what we had it today. So, But in answering your question, I wouldn't do a damn thing. I'd leave the nets the way they are. I would still keep hampering on the shoulder pads and, and the pants, but I think everything else is in pretty good standing. You have children, and now you're a grandpa, and I caution you, the nickname Gramps is already taken by Steve Larmer. Yes, but, it is. Uh, 
Are your kids athletically inclined like you? Yeah, they both played sports. I mean, my son played, uh, you know, he played lacrosse. He played, he played golf and he played uh, up to double A hockey. And he was a defenseman and I'd bring him to all-star games when I was working ESPN. I'd, you know, I'd, I'd bring him all over the place and I coached his team. I was part of the Naperville Sabres uh, coaching staff and I was, I was part of their director of hockey development for a few years. So um, I was fully in, engaged in, on that side of it. Then he pursued golf and got a golf scholarship. And, and he and I have played many rounds of golf t- together. He's my favorite person in the world to play golf with. And, and so those are the sports that he played. And then uh, my, my daughter, she played everything too. You just soccer, played that, track and field, did that. Uh, dive. She ended up being seventh in state in Arizona in, in dive um, to end her career in high school. And yeah, so, you know, both of them, they love their sports. They love going to hockey games. My son's a season ticket holder with the New Jersey Devils. That's where he lives. My daughter goes to a lot of Blues games as well. And, and her two daughters, um, one's almost three and one just turned one. And then my son has two daughters as well. One's one and a half and one's one. Um, so I got four granddaughters under the age of three. And they are the light of my life, George. So it appears you're very comfortable where you're at these days. Are there any other mountains you want to climb? I, I do. I think, you know, I got this great opportunity again to kind of rekindle my, my national TV love, uh, which I had for so long. But, you know, then I, I didn't get as much. I worked in Canada a lot and I worked some for NBC. But you know, really, I, I wasn't the main guy at, at, at any of them. I was just kind of a guy that, you know, would jump in and do games here or there. But TNT called, and they're an excellent network. I'm having fun again. I'm going to games. They produce games well. They don't shove it down your throat. They let the game be the game. They let you be yourself. And so, you know, I'd like to end end my career, you know, on the national side, which I think I'm going to do. And then the thing I'd like to tackle after that is I would still like to join a team in some kind of management position and give that a, a good kick at it, you know, to see, to see how good I really am and to see if I can help a team win a Stanley Cup on that side of it. And that would be real nice. I asked this final question to all my guests. If not for hockey, what would you have been? Hmm. If not for hockey... I would have given tennis a ride early on because I nearly quit hockey to play tennis. I mean, I would have given it everything I had and, and I'm not sure how close I would be there. That's a, that's another tough one. But I, I think realistically, I think some, something in media, something in maybe public relations hosting, you know, radio host. I, I think I, I was still trending in that area. So I, I would have to think that would be it. I'm terrible in math. I wasn't a very good student, not because I didn't try or care. I just, I wasn't interested in anything. And I think if I would have gone to school and known about broadcasting, I think I would have been a better student because I would have been motivated by something. And uh, as it turns out, I didn't, but I went to a school of minor hockey and <laughs> and hard knocks and uh, ended up finding, finding the way anyway. Yeah, I think you've done pretty well for yourself, Panger. What a great pleasure having you on this podcast. You're a joy to watch and listen to. Continued success in hockey and golf. And thank you, Darren Pang, for telling me a story I don't know. Thank you very much, George. I really enjoyed it. Thank you. My thanks to NBC Sports Chicago, the Chicago Blackhawks, the IIHF Championships, and the NHL on TNT for those marvelous highlights. 
And my thanks as always to the people behind the scenes that help make this wonderful podcast possible. TJ Reeves for putting us on the map, Will Hatzel for his crafty editing, Nick Tochi for our wonderful graphics, and to our new partner, Last Word on Sports. And to our presenting sponsor, Mr. Duct. You can find them at mrductcleaning.com. Tune in next week when we feature another intriguing guest on Tell Me a Story I Don't Know. I'm George Hoffman, and that's all she wrote. <laughs> <laughs>